You live close? Do you live around this area? Uh, yeah, Queen and Ossington. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah Dundas and Ossington. Right on. I live yeah. right up the street from 416 Snack Bar. Oh, dope. On Car Street. Dope, yeah, yeah. 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 Super close. So close. I haven't been there in so long. It's one yeah. of those things where it's so close that I eat. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it there, man. You guys have done an amazing job. It's so job. easy, man. Yeah, it's a neighborhood spot. It's a yeah. destination. Yeah, it's crazy. Dude, That's I love cool. it there. Ever since I knew you were working there, I, was, I came, what, three or four times in, like, two yeah. weeks? Yeah. Dude, that was... That That's was all dope. it takes, though. Yeah. Right? It's just knowing people. Because otherwise, you go to the usual spots. Yeah. Same with me. I used to... Well, when I lived at, like, Adelaide and Bathurst, I used to go to um, Dime, like, nonstop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember nonstop. those days. Nonstop. I remember those days. Yeah. Um, the Dime days. The Dime days. Fuck <laughs> the Inception bombs. <laughs> that was wild. Um... Well, we're doing it. No correct way. Number through three, two. I'd say episode two. No, episode three. Three. Episode three. Let's go. We got our boy Daniel Sanchez. Uh, he, amongst many things, is the general manager at Four Hundred Six Snack Bar. Uh, he's been a Muay Thai boxer. Um, you've done lots of things. I feel like I should let you do the introductions here because there's so much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I consider myself uh, like hospitality professional. I've been in and out of the industry for 15 years now, probably. Um, and then, you know, having spent a year living in Thailand and training and fighting out there, um, you know, amongst other things, going back to school, university, I went for a little bit. I didn't go to high school, but I went to university as a, as a young adult, which was great. Um, Where did yeah. you grow up, Daniel? Uh, I grew up downtown Toronto, I guess, like midtown Toronto, like uh, St. Clair and Oakwood area. Right on. Um, Attended school there? I went to McMurrick, Winona, so elementary, junior high, and then I went to Oakwood for a little bit, um, ended up uh, dropping out, and then kind of working and getting into trouble yeah, up, yeah. In, up until around 22, which is when I went chose to go back to university. And then you're also into like, bodybuilding, yeah. just working out in general as a yeah. big like factor in sort of like your off, off yeah. work life now. Power, I'm, I'm powerlifting. Powerlifting is just, uh, for me, it's an easy way to set uh, weekly goals, weekly attainable goals. Um, that way I'm not just thinking about my 10-year plan, right? Which for me, which is what a lot of people have been, you know, forced and programmed to work on is their 10-year goal. It's like that's what they tell you for uh, forever in school and all your teachers and social workers, they say, what are you going to do in 10 years? Who are you, what are you going to be in 10 years? Are you going to own a house in 10 years? Um for me, that's just way too much and way too much pressure. I think for a lot of people, it's way too much pressure. Um, so instead, with powerlifting and with other aspects of my life, I, I like to set like weekly goals. Like I know on Monday I'm going to hit this much for my back squat. I know on Friday I'm going to hit this much for my deadlift. Um, and it's an attainable number. It's still an accomplishment, but it's attainable, and I hit it, and I get some satisfaction, yeah. uh, gratification every those, week. Those small accomplishments build up too. You know what I mean? And then Huge. you just have more confidence in yourself. You see, you're hitting these ding, 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 yeah. and then you build that confidence to go for the bigger accomplishments where you need that yeah. boost of of confidence behind you. Yeah. Even, even like little stuff. I know. Uh, like people just starting the day off, like making your bed is like yeah. setting your day yeah. off, like the right foot kind of yeah. thing. Like with little things like that is super, yeah. super dope. So um, you grew up in sort of midtown Toronto. Uh, what was family like? Like, do you have like brothers, sisters, or? Yeah, I have one brother. He's seven years older, um, which is a huge jump. I think uh, that made uh, it led to you know a bit of resentment on my part. 
he was more of a father figure, you know, as I was growing up. And then when I started to get into trouble, he became more of a father figure um, and not in my eyes, not in a positive way. Um, when I needed a brother, I needed a friend. I kind of had two dads and a mom. Oh, yeah. So everyone's <laughs> just, everyone's telling me what to do. Everyone's telling me, you know, what school to go. I wanted to go to North Toronto with my friends. They were all going there. We were in a band and stuff. My brother said, no, like, don't go up there. It's going to change you. Stay at Oakwood. Oakwood at the time was uh, a bad school. Oakwood went up and down as, like, a super, like, high ac- academic school to a really low, like, drug-dealing school and then back up and back oh, down. Shit. So at that time, for my brother, he's like, no, 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 stick to your roots. We grew up in Chilean co-ops in, uh, around that area. So that neighborhood is kind of all classes. There's uh, lower class, middle class, and then super upper class in Witchwood. Um, and we kind of grew up in these uh, co-op uh, houses for Chilean immigrants, which my family uh, came from Chile. Um, and to my brother, you know, still being young at the age, even though he was seven years older than me, he was like, no, 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 stick to your roots. You got to stay humble. Go to Oakwood, where all your people are. Um, and uh, I don't blame him, but back then I blamed him for getting into trouble. Yeah. I was like, if I was at North Toronto or Northern, like, I wouldn't have gotten into trouble and because I went to Oakwood with all the bad kids. Uh, <laughs> was it yeah. just because he was your older brother that you listened to him at, at that I point? I didn't listen to him. It was no. my parents. It's, he was telling my parents, basically. Right. My parents were like, yeah, it's a good idea. It's his home. It, it was my home school in that neighborhood, so uh, it seemed normal for them. But they didn't understand, right? right? They didn't know that that side of the neighborhood. And what were you like as a as a student? Were you into school or not really? I was at, at a young age. I was a really really good student. I was you know pulled out of class um, for you know being bored and pulling ADHD uh, um, traits. Um, and uh, I was reading at a super high level at a really young age, which was great. And I had, I started getting into a little bit of trouble at a young age, you know, grade four or five, then grade six, I had a super stern teacher who actually um, kind of, he didn't even put me in line. It's just having that authority and that like intensity in the class kind of set me straight. And I got straight A's and then back grade seven, grade eight, and, and so on. I, I didn't have that. So I, I had, I guess, maybe pushover teachers where I was able to almost, you know, bully them and walk over them. And that's oh, wow. when the bad attitude came back. Yeah. You needed the challenge. I, I needed something. I needed a challenge and I needed uh, uh, someone with, um, you know, that, that could like discipline me or, or keep me in line. Mm-hmm, but yeah. then you also had like the, the fight against that sort of thing too. So. Yeah, at the same time, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's strange. What was were we like, like socially at that point? Like social life, or yeah. Yeah, I was friendly. I, I uh, yeah, good social life. Um, and that's the thing. It's like I was very social. Um, I was bullied a little bit when I was younger. Maybe like one or two years, grade one, grade two. Um, and then I kind of bullied a little bit, but very minimal, mm-hmm. mostly just to be the class clown, like, yeah, you know, yeah. call someone a dummy or something in front of someone else to get people to laugh. Um, and then that kind of stopped. Um, and then I just started hanging out with the wrong crowd and, and, you know, I, I, I think I pushed away a lot of my good close friends back then because of the new people that I was surrounding myself with. They were, they were scary. They were older. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they were drug dealers. They were, you know, whatever, gangsters. But um, so I, I definitely pushed away a lot of my good, close friends and kind of um, secluded myself to this new group that, you know, was really all about business. They weren't about making friends. They weren't about school. They weren't about work. So, and what were your, uh, like, you said your parents were uh, Chilean immigrants. What were they, were they, like, working class, or what was? Yeah, um, working class to begin, they are both university educated in Chile. Like, there was lots of love at home. They nice. didn't, you know, they didn't, like, ignore anything, any of my bad attitude or anything. If I ever got suspended or whatever, I would get grounded. And mm-hmm. um, my mom and dad um, both, I think, worked in the mines when they came to Canada, they they wanted to go to Toronto when they came, but the government told them that there was nothing in Toronto for them, so they sent them to Sudbury. They're like, oh, they're Chilean. Send them to Sudbury where the mines are. <laughs> uh, and that's actually what happened. They the ended up, my mom was, like, driving a bulldozer, and, like, my dad wow. was uh, working in the mines. And then they ended up both going to university in Sudbury, moved to Toronto. My mom became an engineer. My dad became a teacher. Um, so definitely, like, you know, middle class, not super wealthy. Started off... Um, poor and they with a lot of hard work they worked their way up and that's awesome so yeah. uh when you were young and like watching that what were did you have do you remember any like dreams or aspirations you had at that point or were you kind of just like hanging with your friends and i wanted to be a soccer player soccer player that was my sport i wanted to be a soccer player i was really good i was playing uh uh rep and then like provincial and like our team started moving up and we played in florida a couple times a couple tournaments and um, we were doing really well. I ended up getting uh, two bad knee injuries, um, oh, shit. tendonitis on both knees, and my coach and trainer would spray my knees up with like a Novocaine spray, and <laughs> obviously it would numb That's it. Gnarly. But we'd keep playing, and I'd keep playing, and obviously it was continuing to damage my knee. So I was out for two years after that, um, and that led into, you know, getting into trouble. You know, I didn't have sports. I didn't have right. this. I was rebelling against everything. Well, you, did, you were probably just looking for something. I was looking for something. At that point in the instant gratification I wasn't of those people. It. Yeah. I wasn't getting it from school. I wasn't yeah. getting it from sports because I couldn't play sports. Yeah. Knees blown out. Not yeah. On Novocaine. How did you <laughs> yeah. transfer, like, if your knees were all messed up, how did you get into more tide? It seems like <laughs> the last sport you'd want to get into. I know. <laughs> So, you know what? I'll, I'll talk about what happened. I, I, so, in grade nine, I, uh, just as I started grade nine, I got arrested. I got arrested with a bunch of friends. They were all adults at the time. And so you, how old were you? Plus, I was about 13, I'd say. Kind of lucky that you weren't over 18. Exactly. <laughs> and that was the thing. So, I, I uh, was running drugs for these guys, uh, a group of guys, um, older guys. And I was their little young runner. Um, and we all got arrested after coming back from a party in the bridal path. We were at some like mansion party, you know, all the rich girls loved us and we were like the low lives from downtown and, um, who had money and at least the people I worked for had money and I, I could flaunt it even though it wasn't personally mine. Um, we ended up getting pulled over back in our neighborhood. Um, there was five of us in a car. We were all smoking weed, all drinking inside the car. Um, I remember we opened, rolled up the windows locked the doors, finished the joints and blunts that we were smoking, took swigs out of our booze, and uh, ended up getting out of the car and handcuffed because obviously we were doing that. They opened the trunk, and there's two handguns in there, uh, fully loaded, extra bullets in the backpack. 
Um, there was crack, cocaine, heroin, ecstasy, um, weed. Um, and as the young, innocent kid that I was, only knowing, you know, like Scarface and Goodfellas <laughs> and whatnot, and you, you, know, you don't rat on your friends, yeah. I ended up taking the hit for everything. Jesus, um, so that's insane. <laughs> yeah, and 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 like you know, coming probably... from a great family, lots of love. Uh, you know, my seeing my parents work their asses off to get us, you know, out of the co-ops, um, and you know, doing everything for me. My 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 dad was really strict. My mom was spoiled me, um, and uh, just I just something fascinated me about that life. Watching all those movies and and watching these documentaries and like people smack dvds you, yeah. the, the people i had a choice though to hang out with those people or to stay hanging out with my friends where we had like a punk rock band and we were skateboarders and like you know getting into trouble was like you know stealing a chocolate bar from 7-eleven or something um and here i am at 13 years old taking a gun charge and them telling me i'm gonna get seven to ten years um in jail um yeah, it was crazy. It was probably they at that point too. You had the kind of like screw the police mentality too, Definitely. right? Like you weren't going in there being like, yes, no, whatever you want, sir. I it was more was like, fuck you. I thought I was a badass. <laughs> yeah, that's I, insane. I, I I thought I was a badass. They there was like at least twenty cops in in suits and uniforms running around that alleyway after, and I thought I was like on on TV. Like I thought I was a gangster. Yeah. I can relate to that a little bit. I, when I was a little bit older, I was just like I don't know why, but I just had this like complex against authority, and whenever I would run into them. And it was, it would just be like, for some reason, I just had like a, the cops or the bad people. I hate them. They're the people you're against. So I would never, I would always push against them. Yeah. And that would always end up not working in my favor. It wasn't yeah. until later that I yeah. learned that it's, they're always going to have yeah. power and you need to respect them. Some of yeah. them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's. Parts, I love rap music, but yeah. rap music definitely gave yeah. us that idea yeah. that the cops are bad. And then there's also the aspect that, or the side that there are some bad cops 100%. out there that have given us a, a terrible idea of them. And like even TTC drivers, right? Like, you know, there are some great TTC drivers yeah. out there. But when we look at the TTC drivers, we think they're all assholes and they're <laughs> all, you know, never stopping for us. Or they're all like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, so we can't just say they're all bad and... and you know, yeah, and you never know what's going on in their life. Yeah, and and the cops generally are there to protect us. So, mm -hmm. especially at thirteen, like you'll <laughs> you'll be so quick and impulsive to yeah. really yeah, definitely try and shit all on. That's, so, go ahead. So how that uh to carry the story on? How that relate to Muay Thai? Came back to Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I got out of jail, I was uh, 17, 16, 17, and I um. I had no one to hang out with. I went back to hang out with one of these gangsters, these older gangsters, because he was taking care of me, sending me money while I was in there. And when I got out, he gave me some money to help me out. And uh, um, I, he ended up getting invited by someone else to go to a gym to work out. I thought we were going to go lift weights, do curls or whatever. Ended up being a Muay Thai gym. Um, and my good friend still to this day, Graham Carpio, was the guy that invited him. Um, he's a personal trainer now. I train with him at his gym, uh, Carpio. And uh, ended up being a Muay Thai gym. My friend 
who brought me there ended up giving up in 15 minutes. I stayed and that was it. Like I did Muay Thai every day for a year straight. Like I wasn't in school. I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little bit of money on the side to, you know, keep me going. I was still a kid. So it's not like I had any rent to pay or anything. How old were you at this point? I was 17. Oh, wow. So you actually like, did time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some time. That's crazy. <laughs> you were in there for a little bit. Um, that's a tough thing to go through at, at such a young age, but I mean, it's all part of your story and, and who you are now. Yeah. Looking back, is it, can you think of like what you kind of learned from that whole scenario and how it's made you maybe a better person today? Yeah, I think I'm not a father uh, now yet, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I think definitely the biggest thing, what, what I noticed in there was that I had a, a family who cared about me and loved me. And, you know, they weren't giving me props. They were crying and they were telling me they loved me and um, that they were going to take care of me. And I saw other people like my cellmate and other people who did not have that. And all they had was their boys bigging them up. And, you know, what charges do you have? Oh, that's fucking gangster yeah. or whatever. Are we swearing a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and I think the biggest thing is that when I become a father, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really ready to to be there for my kid. And uh, I think that was a huge difference. Because if I didn't have my family, I would probably still be in there or I'd go back in there. Yeah. Um, if I didn't, cool. yeah, definitely huge. Yeah, because so, so many uh, times when people go through, like, be a, a negative situation at, at any magnitude, they'll usually latch on to some sort, something to make it no, even worse. Like, it'll just spiral at that point. Yeah. So it's cool you're able to kind of, you know, bounce and yeah. especially getting into something you know, physically demanding like Muay Thai. That's awesome. Like yeah. see all the uh, the boxing movies and whatnot, where they, they either go through some shit and then get right back and get into something like that, yeah. and it do, does wonders for them. Yeah, yeah there's man. two paths you can go at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, yeah, but no, somehow that just taught me a lot of discipline. It, it, uh, I was, I was good at it too. I was always athletic. You know, playing soccer growing up and. Um, and Muay Thai is one of those disciplines that's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, after six months, you get pretty good. After a year, you could probably have an amateur fight. It's not like karate where you need like 10 years to master, right? Um, Muay Thai comes pretty quickly for those um, with, with, you know, some technical ability in sports. Um, so I did. I did. I, w- I went amateur right away. And um, a couple years after that, I moved to Thailand and uh, trained and fought professionally out there, um, and that was it. Would you say you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie? Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I think there's a bit of me that's an attention seeker for sure, right. and uh, winning fights, at being in front of people. I always trained harder when people were watching me at the gym, whether it was my trainer or other uh, fighters or other just people at the gym um so there's definitely i wouldn't say i'm exactly an adrenaline junkie but i i like it for sure um you like the showmanship essentially uh, yeah i like i like winning yeah <laughs> you like to do well it sounds whatever like whatever it is whatever it is you like to do well at it whether even what you're doing right now like you obviously you're very successful in everything you do now you're probably successful at doing what you did when you were 13 <laughs> exactly i was very good at it yeah. even though it was bad you were I, just I helped my direction. friends make a lot of money <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, so from go, go, going Muay Thai, so you're about 18 to 20, give or take, to, going professional? 
Yeah, after 20, I, I went oh, professional. Okay, after 20. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess Before it, that, it was all amateur. It was all like in-house boxing events, like nothing. Uh, and what was it like uh, moving to a you know whole different country with a different culture shift? Like, what was that pivot like? I did it in like 15 days. I wow. My trainer was uh, going down there on a trip, and I had some money, um, and I just did it i bought a ticket in 15 days it was mad expensive it was like 1700 dollars or something and Jeez. normally you can get a flight down there for like 12 to 14 maybe maybe yeah. even less sometimes but i did a last minute trip i moved out there i you know asked my family for 20 bucks here and there and i went out and 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 that was it once you're there it's super inexpensive like i was eating five meals a day uh, and only paying like $5 Canadian a day wow. for food. Uh, my rent was a hundred dollars a month and I, you know, all I had was a room and a balcony and a bathroom, but I actually ended up upgrading to, uh, like a, a suite apartment, like S U I T E and S W E T. Um, and it was like a, a bedroom, living room, dining room, like big screen, like Sony TV in my bedroom, like dope ass, like sit down shower. Like we, we used to have like pre-drinks and stuff at my apartment there because it was so nice. And it was only $300 Canadian a month. So. That's insane. Yeah. I think I did the calculations. You could like live in Thailand for like 10 grand for a year and, and live like a king. Oh, yeah. It's so cheap. So cheap back then. I think it's gotten a little uh, for more. Sure. But, for sure. Um, yeah, how, so how long were you there for? Uh, I was there for just under a year. Okay, nice. Yeah. nice. Where was the decision to come back? School. Yeah. Yeah. I so I was uh, I was in Chiang Mai the whole time. I never went down to the beaches, um, and um, I don't know. I had a bunch of fights. I had had a lot of fun. I was you know kind of running out of money. I was living off of um, money that I would you know make in. Uh, off of fights, which wasn't very much. You'd make like $70 Canadian off of a fight. Um, but again, that, you're eating, you know, $5 Canadian for five meals a day. It's like It was like 60 or 70 cents for a plate of pad thai, Jeez. for a full plate of pad thai. So uh, $70 Canadian went a long way. Um, but yeah, I was running out of money. I was like, what should I do? And decided to go to, what did I, I went to Humber College first. Then I ended up going to, my dad was the head coach of the Humber College men's soccer team. Um, so he ended up just getting info from that and helping me with the paperwork to get in as a young adult. And then I went to Ryerson after that. What did you, what were you going to the to school for? Humber was general arts and sciences. So yeah. like it was a university um, bridge program. Um, and this is coming from no high school. Like I tried grade nine twice, I think, and just didn't finish. Um, That's how you made it, though. Yeah, yeah. And I, I owe it to my family. And, and like, mm-hmm. I think my reading ability, I have a good memory, too. Um, and that's pretty much all you need in school. But it's interesting just knowing that you, you know, barely have high school. and uh, But just knowing you from, like, working and everything, like, you're so dialed in terms of memory of, you know, mixing food, absolutely every single ingredient you know it, yeah. like, to a T. It's always impressive just... <laughs> like how many stirs of a yeah. paper plane? Yeah, no, I know. I, <laughs> I wonder how what came first was it? You know, my memory or or training it through hospitality and, and remembering every single menu item and all that. I'm sure now it's it's helping maintain it. And but uh, where did you take uh, Ryerson? At Ryerson, I took. Uh, I was joining a commerce program, so it was another bridge program. 
um, because without high school, you can join just a general program. Um, so it was a bridge, like, commerce program. So I was learning stats and um, different types of, you know, math uh, courses. And yeah. um, I did some critical thinking classes, which are amazing. Um, yeah. And then when did you get, and when did you decide to get into hospitality? Like, where did that passion, have you always had a passion for that? or? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was, picked up a busing job. You know, I picked up a busing job just for money in my neighborhood, and that was it. It was, uh, um, I didn't know much about it. I didn't care much about it. I just knew it was a job that I could get without any experience, and, and that was it, and I worked my way up. Um, so it wasn't even university that, that got you through? I thought it was school. No, no. It was just working your ass off. I was always just working. I was working as a busser, then I became a, a server, and then a few years later became a... Um, a bartender, and um, and I and I worked from there. There's something to be said about working your way through all the different positions to get to where you are now, yeah. where some people just find themselves at the top. Yeah, I think it's. I think even those at the top, even if they just jump there, they should they should uh, try every other position, whether whether they're, um, you know, you're not going to take a pay cut. But uh, even when I started at Snack Bar, I I uh, as a manager, I. Went in and pretty sure it was their idea, but it, I had the idea as well. Where I'm like, I want to bus, uh, even though I'm going to be the manager. I want to bus, so I, I bust for a week. Um, then I served for a week. Then I hosted for a week, and then I bartended for a week. Um, and the idea was that I know what's expected from every position, so that as a manager, I can um, see those things. Um, and also, you kind of humbles you and and gains a lot of respect from your coworkers. Yeah. And you they can relate. They're like, oh my God, our manager is a busser. And like, you could probably like, help out too. What? If, yeah. You know. And 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 they, you know, I was like, tell me what to do. Like I'm your guy tonight. Like I'll polish your glass or I'll get your ice. I'll get your pops and your backup booze. Like and I think that really helped in in gaining the trust from other coworkers and then me finding that uh, the insight to all the positions. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Do, do you think that work ethic of, you know, going through the, the masses and everything is just being, like, built in you? Or do you think that's something you've learned over time? What, what did you, you know, of going through the ropes like that, it, it seems sort of similar to what your parents did, uh, you know, with going working the mines and then, you know, <laughs> working their way up. Do you think it yeah. translates a bit? I... I some of it. I definitely don't work as hard as my parents did back then. Uh, and I don't think anybody uh, in 2019 works as hard as my parents did back then. But um, there's definitely some of it. It's Maybe it's, again, that attention-seeking side of me where I want to make people proud. I want to make you know my mom and dad proud still to this day. I want to make my boss proud, um, Adrian and Dave. Um but there still are some sides of me that are, um, you know, a bit lazy. Like, I, I want to sleep in. Uh, I want to play video games. Uh, so it's definitely, I'm definitely not like, go, 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 go. But if the ice machine stops working and I'm in the middle of a video game, I'll drop the video game and run to work. Yeah. Uh, you know. Being there in the party. And, and, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And, uh, but yeah, there, there is some that, work ethic and again I think it's just like pleasing people I've always been a people pleaser and, and like to a fault and um, 
that goes into the addiction side too, but uh, which we haven't talked about yet. But um, <laughs> addiction, ooh. <laughs> addiction, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've always been a people pleaser, and that's the thing. It's like you know, I, I want to please my bosses, I want to please my friends, I want to you know, I want to pay for dinner here and there. I want to you know. Um, so I think that's where where my hard work comes from. It's kind of wanting to show off. Let it be known that nobody has ever worked as hard as immigrant parents to Canada. Yeah, like exactly. every person I've talked to who has immigrant parents is like, I'll never work as hard as my parents worked. It's insane. New yeah. families that have come to Canada, even now, still, yeah. they work their fucking ass off yeah. to for their families and then to bring their families over here. Like the stuff they've gone yeah. through to yeah. support their families is... It's crazy. It puts all of us to and shame. The, the yeah. one thing is still um, what I've noticed is they won't complain about certain things no. like or anything really. They you know they they work hard because that's what they're known to do. Whereas yeah. now um, I find the people today with jobs and whatnot, they'll pick the, any the lowest hanging fruit to blame it on. You know why they're not getting a, like leg yeah. up? Why are you know schools are more expensive? Blah blah blah. So it's. Uh, I think their perspective sometimes is much better too because they know where they could be compared to where they are. That's true. Canada. I mean, just all of us are super lucky to live here. Yeah. Did you know? Was there a point where you knew that you wanted to keep working in hospitality, or that you're like, you know what, this is what I want to do, or is it even what you still want to do? Yeah, you know what, uh, I so I actually faked my way into bartending. I uh, saw a job posting. Uh, for a bartender, I applied for it saying I had bartending experience. I had none. Um, I just knew the ropes of hospitality and, and the restaurant world. Um, and I went in, and on my first day, they trained me on 10 cocktails. I remember those 10 cocktails, and that's how I started. And I became a really good bartender. Remember the 10 now? Well, they were like, it was old-fashioned <laughs> Moscow Mule, uh, Negroni, Manhattan, um, you know, and, and, a, and a bunch of other classics. Um, and that was it. And it was super phony, but I did it. And like, I don't, you know, want to promote that, but there is a bit of that, you know, like false advertising that you can use to your benefit so long as you are a fast learner. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, so you and Jaw Rule with the false advertising. What? <laughs> you and Jaw Rule. Yeah, <laughs> no way, man. Fire. <laughs> I would never do that. But uh, that it got me in there and I did a good job. And it's like if I didn't do a good job, I would have gotten fired. And and that's that. It's not like anybody would have, you know, suffered or anything. Um and um from there I uh, I just got really good at it. It's the same thing with soccer. Like I was really good at it, so I kept playing until I got injured. And then Muay Thai, I got really good at it, so I, I kept doing it. And then bartending, I got really good at it, and I kept doing it. And I just started learning more and more. And then I went to wine school, and I went to culinary school, and you know, took some chef courses and stuff. Um, I didn't want to be a chef, but I, I just wanted to know more, and I loved cooking. Um, and and that was basically it. It wasn't one day where I'm like, this is what I want to do. I just started getting better and better at it, and now I'm like. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm really good at this. Like, I know what food is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to taste like. I have a good palate. I'm still learning more and more about wine. I get to taste wine every week with my, uh, um, with Adrian and Dave from Snack Bar. So I, I'm, I'm just like constantly learning and I'm getting better at something that I'm already good at. So if you were to bottle up, you know, one skill or one trait and like 
call it that's the thing you kill it at would it be just the adaptability or adaptability in conversations in uh in work at work in sports um you know yeah carrying a conversation is the biggest thing there's you know a bunch of tricks that i learned from some professors at uh at ryerson and which you know there was one trick that this guy taught me a professor taught me um where you get rid of nice to meet you from your vocabulary and only ever say nice to see you and it'll get it'll be weird at first but you'll never make the mistake of forgetting that you met somebody ever nice. if you get rid of nice to meet you and you just never say it and just try to make it a habit always say nice to see you no matter whether you met that person or not and you will never ever make the mistake of forgetting That's that you cool. met somebody. It's important at a bar. <laughs> it's very important at a bar. And I'm, I mean, I'm good with faces and stuff, but sometimes I'll forget a name. Yeah. So I just say, nice to see you. Or like, hey, you know, and, and it happens to some of my, my coworkers. They're like, oh, I forget their name. I'm such an idiot. I just, you know, made a mistake or something. I'm like, don't say their name. If someone says hi to you and they're so happy to see you, say, yo, what's up? Like, you don't have to say a name. So next time a bartender says, nice to see you to me, I'm like, you don't fucking know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Well, another trick I've learned is if you don't know, say you're with another person, if you don't know their name, who you're talking to is introduce them to your friend and just hope hope they introduce themselves. Yeah, that's a good one. And as a bartender, it's easier because you're making drinks, so you can easily be like, hey, this is my friend Zach, and then turn around and walk away as you make a drink. You're like, I'm busy, right? No one's going to question why you walked away but if you're at a party and stuff and you do that and you can't just walk away (laughs) um it's a pretty the industry that you're talking about is a pretty insane crazy long hours alcohol drugs around can you talk about like that side of the industry yeah um it's it's very stressful industry we're dealing with people that want everything now and they want it their way, um, which is fine. Um, Again, with that side, you just need to be really good with your words and a smile. Um, But it's a very stressful industry and a lot of these people are working, you know, 10 to 14 hours a day, like 14 is pushing it. Um, But at Snack Bar, for instance, these guys work 10 to 12 hours. Um, they're making good money, but it's still stressful. And a lot of uh, companies in this hospitality industry don't have any activities or outlets to relieve this stress. So there's, and and most of them is just party. Let's go party. Mm, That you've been stressed all day. You've worked all, all day, all night. Let's go party. Yeah. Where do you party after work? At an after hours. What's at an after hours? Tons of drugs and, and, and more booze. You're looking for a quick release. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's a weird thing, too, because a lot of the time people were, you know, say they work in a corporate job, whatever, like they'll go out for beers or whatnot with their friends after work. Whereas if you're in the industry, you know, get away from your job is just to go probably do the exact same thing you'd work doing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle in that sense. Yeah. And what do we like to do? We work in restaurants, but what do we like to do? We like to go to restaurants and we work at bars. And what do we like to do? We like to go to bars. So um, there's no, yeah, there's no, you're never away from it. Mm -hmm. Where people work nine to five in an office, they're away from it eight hours a day. um, And then they go to the bar. I mean, like what's worse, like being a weekend warrior or being an industry warrior? It's 
industry warrior is definitely worse. Yeah. Because you're doing it every day. Um, and, um, but yeah. Because I was uh, just recently um, got let on and because I've, I've never worked in the industry or been around it really. I've always been super curious of it. Um, and I've always like been in it in terms of partying and whatnot. But hearing the stories of guys like Matty Matheson and like the shit he's gone through and like almost dying multiple times. And then I think it just, a article that just got posted, the guy with Joe Beef, yep. that like open, seeing and reading those stuff or that stuff is super eye opening. Yep. It's yeah. insane. What That's huge. That's one of my favorite restaurants in the world. Joe, Joe Beef, Beef and, and Van Papillon and, and uh, Liverpool House out in Montreal. Um, and that's incredible. I remember, you know, I don't know how many years ago I, I was at um, uh, at Joe Beef and and sure enough the two owners were there and they were you know getting hammered and um, and they you know they I didn't know them that well but I I didn't think they looked well no, <laughs> like they carried themselves things. well but they were definitely like loud and they were definitely partying um, and you could definitely tell that they were party guys um, but they definitely carried themselves well. They, they still understood that they had a, a huge restaurant, a huge following. Um, but it's just amazing to hear them come out and say, hey, we were not doing well, yeah. like inside. Um, and we needed to give up alcohol. And they look incredible now. I don't know if you've seen photos of them back then and them now, and they look incredible. I just saw the photos of now. I haven't yeah. looked too deep into it, but they look They just good. look well. I feel like... Um, I can't remember the exact stat, but whatever X amount of no- restaurants that fail is probably due to like the owners just getting blackout hammered with their you know, patrons all the time. Yeah. Like, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. yeah. They were definitely not going to fail, but uh, it wasn't good for them. Yeah. They, they, def- they had people in play. They, they had such a big following that everybody wanted to work there. The best of the best work there. Yeah. Um, so they had people in place to keep it going, but... It's fun though, like you're in the industry, you're drinking, you're partying, you're hanging out with girls, you're having a good time, everyone's boosting your ego, and then one day, I imagine it clicks and you're like, what the fuck, I haven't slept in yep. two weeks, I've been drunk for a month, yep. I've been high all the time, um, and then, you, it, but, but that happens before you even know it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a trait of just being a people pleaser too. Cause yeah. I, when I was, so when I was about 13, 14 was when I really started getting into partying as well. And I was always kind of known as the, the party guy who could drink a lot or, you know, shocking the fastest and whatnot. So it just sort of spiraled in that, that, that was my persona. So I had to keep it up and always be the party guy. And it wasn't until sort of recently when I slowed down a bit, whereas people were like, what the fuck man? Like, where, where are you? And so it's, yeah. you know, it, it's weird that you sort of get caught up in that stigma you build for yourself. That yeah. that stigma was built for me like 13, 12 or 13 years ago. Yeah. So I have to break that cycle too because that's what all you are. Yeah. And then and it's all you are, yeah. yeah. And your brain is such a powerful thing that if you're doing this much damage to it, there's a high probability that it's going to like switch off. Um, and and something bad might happen, right? You're just giving yourself the opportunity to um, create a, a disaster. Was there a point for you where you were working in the industry and things started to kind of un- unravel, where you where it clicked, and you were like, you know what, I need to make a change? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was managing a nightclub, um, and even then, you know, when I was younger, hanging out with those 
bad guys. Um, I would do drugs here and there. So I I had seen cocaine. I had done cocaine, and it was uh, now as an adult managing a nightclub. I and I hadn't done cocaine for a little bit a while before that, like years. Um, managing a nightclub, I had this confidence one from my title and two from you know I've done this before I've seen this before I was you know 13 when I or 12 when I did my first bump like Mm -hmm. I I'm in control like all these people that are now you know my age whatever 26 27 and they're now starting to do cocaine they don't know what they're getting into you know they won't have control it's like I've been there I have experience I can control it and sure enough I didn't and and that's like what you're talking about it's like being a people pleaser, it's you never want to stop. If people are still there at the party, you know, they then I want to stay there and I want to keep the party going. Mm-hmm. But the only thing is that I started at 6 p.m. Yeah. The, people, the people that came at 6 p.m. have already gone home, but the people that started at 11 p.m. are there and now I want to keep going with them. So I'm there from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., right? Not Not at the club the whole time, but... Um, but, but that was the thing. I wanted to keep the party going, so I'd bring them back to my house. Yeah, you get stuck on the party wagon. And yeah. just There's no no hopping off because there's no breaks. And no. Especially when, like you said, you're getting mixed crowds of people coming, people going, and it just uh, kind of starts stacking up a bit. Yeah. So you've been, have you been clean for a while? or I've been clean three years coming up this March 28th. Congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. And what was, what was the, the point that made you get clean, if you don't mind yeah, talking yeah. about it? Um, so I was working at this nightclub uh, in Toronto on Queen Street in Ossington, and um, I was partying all the time. And um, I come from, you know, casual fine dining background and fine dining background and where I'm talking and learning about food and wine and and drinks and everything, and now I'm managing a nightclub where there's none of that. So my learning had stopped. It's kind of like, you know, having that really strict teacher in grade six where I was learning and I had something, like, stable and solid, and I was a good kid. And then when I didn't have something stable and solid, I was a bad kid. And in this case, I had stopped learning, and my education and hospitality had come to a halt where now all I had to offer was bottle service and cocaine. Like, there was just nothing else and that was it and it was just partying every day um, bringing people back to my house after the nightclub shut down um, partying till seven in the morning um, and actually one day I got sick I got the flu and um, I had flu symptoms and I you know muscle aches and pains and uh, headache and I so I went home took a few days off of work um, which meant I took a few days off of cocaine as well um, and the symptoms got worse <clears throat> and thinking it was just the flu. I just kept taking hot showers and wearing big sweaters and, um, ended up being what I now know as withdrawal. Um, so I was going through withdrawal from cocaine and partying. Um, it got worse and worse till, you know, three days, two days later, I, uh, was sitting at home. My roommate had just left to go out for dinner and I took a swig of a bottle of tequila at home while I had these flu symptoms and did a shit ton of cocaine by myself when I had never done cocaine by myself. Um, I did some 
a bunch of molly. I, I did about maybe 12 half grams of cocaine, um, oh, like Jesus. 10 <laughs> mollies. Uh, I had moon rock molly and the regular molly. Um, MDMA, I shouldn't call it molly. Molly is such a, uh, uh, they're trying to give it a positive connotation. Yeah. It's yeah. MDMA. It's a drug. Um, and uh, I tried to kill myself. My heart was racing. Um, it wasn't racing fast enough for me. I, w- I wanted to die. Um, and, you know, I didn't know, this wasn't me. This These were, you know, del- I was delusional. I was going through withdrawal. I was going through this psychotic episode. Um, so I called the cops and told them that there was a man at this address where I was at my apartment with a gun, a loaded gun, and that they should come there right now. And I wanted them to come and kill me because the drugs weren't killing me. Um, so that was, that was my rock bottom. Wow. It's a pretty rocky bottom. Very rocky. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Um, and then after that, did you just kind of cold turkey? I, uh, yeah, I I was I was I went to the hospital. Yeah, I was admitted to the hospital. I'm sure they gave me something that helped with the withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you know, I didn't have the use of my right hand. Uh, I I fought the cops. I fought the cops so hard, and I, I'm assuming in my sleep because I don't remember any of it. Yeah. Um, but some people have videotape and we're want, talking about you, it. You said you wanted to. Like, I wanted to die. That's insane. I I know I remember them coming in. I remember them talking on the phone. I remember seeing uh, laser sights going through all of my windows. I know that they were hanging off the side of my building. Uh, um, and uh, I remember them breaking in. And then I walked, I went, I crawled to the back uh, room. And they were in my apartment at that point. There were still lasers going through. I opened my closet door so I could hide behind it. And I remember a, them drilling a hole into my bedroom door. Um, and all I saw was a guy with like a riot mask peering through it, a, a big hole about the size of a dinner plate. Um, and I guess I wasn't in sight of him. I'm sure he was holding a taser. Apparently it was green lights and red lights. And one of the lights is tasers and one of the lights is their like big yeah. rifles. Um, craziness regardless regardless yeah that's fucking insane and uh, and I'm there I'm conscious for all of this Um, and then the last thing I remember was the wall perpendicular to the door Mm -hmm. or adjacent perpendicular beside it beside it (laughs) beside the door with the hole in it uh just i heard something smashing and they took a sledgehammer i guess and smashed through the wall and all i remember is a laser coming across like my eye and to my face and i took a taser to my forehead a couple to my chest my stomach my leg i think i had maybe six or seven tasers on me and it just threw me on my back, stiff-legged, everything went straight and flexed, and it was the most horrible pain I'd ever felt. I've broken bones, I've, uh, you know, there's nothing I could say is more painful than being tased. Um, Maybe being tased eight times is worse than being tased seven times. (laughs) um, It's, It's insane, like, you know, kind of sort of looping back to your past of, you know, going to you know, jail and everything. And then, and then this, that you're so capable at bouncing back, which is like yeah. seeing where you are now. Yeah. Totally. It's scary. Such a contrast. Yeah. For it's sure. scary it's because scary. if that happened to me again, after what I thought was learning my lesson as a kid, then, you know, 
which is why now I use as many tools as I can find to keep myself on track and and it's just being happy it's 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 finding how to be happy and you're saying how did I cut it out cold turkey it's I, I was admitted to the hospital and they were taking care of me and I'm sure gave me some withdrawal uh, uh drugs but uh the nurse uh in the psych ward um handed me a pamphlet it ended up being an NA pamphlet um of all the different NA meetings in the city um, and to be honest, it could have been anything. It could have been uh, a Scientology pamphlet, and I would have gone. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like wow. I just needed, I, I just grabbed onto whatever it was. Like, I didn't have feeling in my hand. I could barely walk. Every time I stood up, my heart rate monitor started to shoot up, and they told me to sit down. Um, I was just completely fucked, so I, I grabbed this pamphlet, and I ended up, you know, three days later coming out of the hospital, and I, I went to a meeting, and I went to a meeting for every day for the next 90 days, sometimes hitting, you know, two meetings a day, and and that was it. It was just consistency and constantly hearing other people's stories, telling my story um, that that helped me get clean and sober and, and stay on track. Um, I have a bunch of questions kind yeah, of yeah. moving forward, but just to loop back quickly, do you, can you pinpoint, like, do you, was there a reason that you, you were feeling like you needed to overdose and take your life? Like, where do you think that, that came from? I think part of that was... The drugs, the uh, going into that psychotic episode was is is a is a um, direct um, effect of cocaine specifically, um, and um, the other side I've I've uh, struggled with depression, uh, not so much anxiety but more so depression, um, growing up and never anything too too serious but. Uh, um, just the, I guess, maybe the pleasing people part and maybe not being able to please people and then feeling upset about it or, um, and then going into states of depression through that. Um, but nothing was wrong. I was, I was, you know, other than partying, I was just partying. I, I owe all that uh, shit to doing cocaine and, and drinking excessively. And like, uh, what's his name? David McMillan and Joe Beef, like you were talking about, just wrote uh, in that article you wrote, my restaurant was the greatest show of excess you'd ever seen, and it almost killed me. And that was it. I was, I just wanted more and more and more. I wanted people to have more and more and more. Um, I, you know, I went out to nightclubs when I'd never gone to nightclubs before. I wasn't a nightclub guy, but I would go and buy 10 bottles for no reason, mm -hmm. right? Just yeah. to show off, just to to bring people back to our club, and then at our club, I was popping bottles and and giving people cocaine and just doing so much cocaine and just doing too much. Uh, and for really no reason except just to be the, that guy. Just to be and that guy. It's like um, a lot of the entertainers, um, specifically uh, Robin Williams. Um, I remember there's a quote some, uh, somewhere. I'm super paraphrasing because I can't remember it, but saying that the you know the biggest people pleasers are the ones who you know take the most out of themselves. Yeah, who are the saddest, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah because they you on know, the inside because they're just so out there all the time. It's yeah. just so taxing to them. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how you have as take as many types of tricks or tips, things that kind of help you stay clean and, and stay mentally focused. Can you maybe give us an inside look on some of those tricks and tips that you use? Everyone's different that yeah. we ask. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, and I'll, you know, we can probably keep going and if uh, I'll text you guys in a couple of days as, as more come up. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the NA meetings for me w- were one. Um, and even if, you know, people aren't looking to go completely sober, um, I think everyone should be clean. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any need for... Uh, not all drugs, but there are there are. Uh, I, I'm I'm 100 clean, but I think cocaine is one of the things that should not be in anybody's body. Um, Agreed. But yeah. if you don't want to go completely sober as well, because I know some people that are drug free but not necessarily alcohol free, um, there are some open meetings that you can go to to uh, listen to other people's stories. Most NA meetings are closed, um, and that is to keep the addicts safe. Um, so you can only go in there if you're an addict looking to become clean. Um, but there are some open meetings and it's just like, it's almost like free therapy. I mean, it sounds selfish, but it's, you got to work on yourself and that's what the meetings are about. It's about you. It's, uh, you're definitely going to help other people and, and you should help other people, but it is ultimately about you. It's about you getting clean. It's about you becoming a better person. It's about you becoming a happier person. Um, so me going to meetings, uh, I don't go to meetings that much anymore. I, I, um, I owe everything to NA and I have my key tags and everything, but, um, uh, and I haven't moved on from it. I've just, I use it when I need it. You know, it's there. I use it when I need it and I use it almost as free therapy because I go in there and I listen to other people's stories and I help them if I can. I tell my story or a bit about how I'm feeling that day and why I needed that meeting that day. Um, and it helps me and it helps other people. Um, so that's one of the, the things that I use, uh, fitness. I'm, I'm powerlifting now, but whatever it is, like, you know, my girlfriend owns a bunch of spin studios. Sometimes I'll go, uh, doing, uh, spinning, um, whatever it is just to let out this energy and to bring in some good energy. Um, and yes, with, yeah, no, no, with, with powerlifting, this setting those weekly goals, as I was saying before, it's, it's amazing. Cause if I'm not doing that, then I'm not accomplishing anything necessary. I'm, I'm not accomplishing anything like, you know, right now, not now. And, and my mind needs that. I, I need some satisfaction. I need some, um, you know, um, it's kind of like getting likes on Instagram. Like it, it feels good. Yeah. It feels good. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And a lot of people put down, you know, the Instagram, uh, um, creators and like just looking for likes. And if that's all you're doing and you're suffering because you're not getting them, then, then there's something wrong. But if you're getting something out of it, then that's amazing. Like Mm. go for it, do it. Um, so that's what I get off the gym and that's what I get off of work and giving people a good meal and them saying that they loved it at 416 snack bar, um, or getting them a wine when they didn't know what kind of wine they wanted and then they love it. Like that, that's, that's what I want. And I'm using, I'm using like positivity to deliver positivity, uh, to then get back positivity right yeah Um, so it becomes a a happy cycle as opposed to a vicious cycle yeah and you even mentioned you know just the na meetings just the fact you are able to talk and talk it out because i think that's such a in today's society you know especially with men in particular so uh used to bottling it up and especially in the party scene and whatnot you know a lot of uh we talked about it in the last episode um where we said like a lot of the like personal relationships you get with the people you party with 
are usually, you know, very, very shallow and, and it's, it's and, or yeah, surface and a, a po- in a sense that you, you know, don't make good connections, don't make good sense of community. You just go out, party with them and then barely remember it and then do it again. Yeah. And then, so you don't get these, you know, strong relationships and whatnot. Yeah. Even, uh, at snack bar, it's a lot more intimate. Like we've been there and we talk to you while you're yeah. serving and whatnot. Um, and you probably talk to however many faces a day and all the different stories, especially, and then, you know, just letting those stories out into the world probably makes it feel so much better. Yeah, definitely. And it, and like partying, nobody remembers that. No. Yeah. Right. And even at snack bar, when I started there, we got rid of, uh, I got rid of, um, pouring shots. It used to be like a, a promo tab and it was a huge promo tab because all was on there was shots and shots are expensive. Um, so I got rid of that. Nobody's allowed to, uh, not necessarily not allowed to, because there are some industry people that, uh, or some people that will want some shots and that's a nice gesture to them. Something nice to drink, some chinar or something. Yeah. Um, but when all you're doing is pouring shots, it's not hospitality anymore. Nobody's going to remember that shot of Jameson you gave them, no. but they are going to remember that, you know, special dish that you sent them that they didn't, they've never tried before and they loved it. They go, oh my God, remember that time at Snack Bar and they sent us that dish and they comped it for us? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to remember that. Oh, remember those, those four shots that they sent us? No. Yeah. Nobody and if they do, that. they remember it for the wrong reasons. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. they remember it for there. a second and then they're hung over <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I wish I didn't take those shots. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's, you can make much more memorable, longer lasting relationships and memories through other things other than drugs yeah. and alcohol. I think it's really important to realize if you do have an addictive personality as well, and then replacing bad addictions with good addictions. Yeah. So say, alcohol and cocaine and partying it's an easy thing to get into and it's an easy gratification to get but knowing that you have an addictive personality maybe a problem with those things but then shifting it to fitness or to entrepreneurship or work get addicted to those things i make like i don't really drink as much or party as much anymore as mm-hmm. i used to and i make a joke with my girlfriend like i'm addictive addicted to being at like peak performance now, like, <laughs> I just love the feeling of not being hungover, not feeling like shit, waking up on a Sunday and feeling like energized, get a coffee, go to the gym. And when I'm off the peak performance, say I do drink one night and I'm feeling hungover, I'm like, this sucks. Like, I wear, I'm addicted to that peak performance. So I don't know. I think it's really trying to replace those bad habits yeah, with, with good habits. And, and um, Eddie Wong has said this in the past, and um, he's, he's gone on, you know, whatever you feel like personally you're missing, you have something else in its place. So if you, you know, feel like you're missing the good job, you don't have the good career, it's probably because you're doing something else. Or in anything, if you really want something, uh, there's probably something in between you and that that you're either spending too much time doing or you're, you know... yeah. So there's a there's a big thing yeah. in that. Yeah, there's a, a big thing about. It's not like you're replacing addictions because you your addictions will just manifest in in yeah. other ways. Um, but as so long as you're conscious of everything you're doing, and I, I think everyone should do it. Most specifically, addicts should do it. Um, is being conscious of everything you're doing because even being a serial entrepreneur is cannot be healthy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a, 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 a fitness addict, a, a gym addict, a, 
uh, food addict. You know, it, it, it's, there's definitely, the, the negative side of it is the addiction part. Yeah. Um, but doing something, going full force and doing it well is, so there's a difference. There's being addicted to it and then there's doing something full force and doing it really well. And that's, I think, what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so, so long as you're conscious of what you're doing, um, and you're not, uh, um, sacrificing too much of what life has to offer, like relationships and friendships, um, and work, uh, sometimes it's, it's great. Cause you can, you can definitely go from being a drug addict to being, a. a a shoe addict, right? Yeah, and I know, broke. <laughs> uh, I know, I know a friend of mine. Like I can't say his name because he's an NA, but he's a shoe addict, and he buys shoes like five pairs at a time, ten pairs at a time sometimes. Jesus. And I'm like, dude, that's not good. <laughs> like he's okay, he's doing well, you know, with money and whatnot. But I'm like, that's that can't be good. You know that, right? Unless that's a great, can, that's a great point to to bring up, though. Like you can't just let it manifest. If you're gonna be, if you turn into a gym addict, you're gonna screw your body up, or yep. you're gonna neglect other relationships. Could lead to food disorders. Could yeah. eat, uh, eating disorders could lead to so many different things, and that's what happened at the beginning with your drug addiction, with my drug addiction specifically. It's mm-hmm. it's it started off slow, and it led into something huge and terrible, um, and it could happen with anything, you know, sex addiction, drug addiction, uh, food, uh, sports. Like it, it it is more than likely going to lead to something negative if you're not in control and you're not conscious of, of your actions. How do you keep, you're talking about positivity and, and shining that. How do you keep positive? Like there's days where people will wake up and they're going to feel miserable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're going to feel like shit. They're going to not feel like life is worth living. What are, what are some tips or what are things that you do to, to help yourself keep positive? Cause I'm sure there's days where you wake up and you're not instantly feeling positive. I I talk about it. I I I'm lucky. I have a super supportive girlfriend that knows everything about my life, um, and I'm not scared to share it with her. And right now, I'm and this is not for everybody, but I'm hopefully here talking about it on behalf of everybody else. It's like I I'm not afraid to talk about it, and I don't think anyone should be afraid to talk about it because that's going to help us ultimately. Mm-hmm. The more we talk about it, the the easier it becomes to deal with those those times where when we're feeling unhappy. Um, and, uh, so I bring it up to my girlfriend. I, sometimes I text her and be like, I feel like shit today. I don't know what it is. It's just that she'll be like, well, well, what is it? What's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I just, I don't know. I just don't feel good. She's like, well, go to the gym. I'm like, yeah. Or like, you know, go to work. And sometimes that works because I love snack bar. I go to, (laughs) I go to work and I get distracted and I'm happy again and I help out. And, um, but also for me being conscious of it again, like, like, how I manifest my addictions is I'm aware that I always need to think about being happy and think about being positive. If I don't wake up in the morning and say, Daniel, how are you going to stay happy? How are you going to stay positive today? Then there's the chance that it might not happen, but then there's a chance that I might not be happy that day and I won't be ready for it. So do you believe in anything like, say, meditation or manifestation in a sense? Yeah, I... Um, or do you do anything like that? Yeah, I, I meditate. I, I, I used to meditate a lot with my uh, sponsor. He had a uh, an addictions-specific um, um, 
meditation uh, session that he would do. Oh, Sanskrit session, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's like a Tibetan uh, Buddhist um, meditation uh, background. That's it. Um, so I would do that. And But I've tried meditation elsewhere with other people. And it's just like sometimes it doesn't work for me and sometimes it does. It's just... I think the person that does it, that runs mm-hmm. it. Um, and I love him and I loved him uh, during those sessions. So I really liked and took a lot away from those meditation sessions. But then, you know, I, I do, um, you know, meditation somewhere else and I didn't really like it because I just didn't connect with it. Right. Um, so it's definitely like if anybody shuts down meditation or shuts down yoga or shuts down powerlifting or shuts down, you know, swimming, it's like... Either it's not for you or you haven't found the right person. That's Same thing with a relationship, like a girlfriend. If you guys are always fighting, you may or may not have not found your person yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Same Don't same keep pushing too, the same thing over and over again. The same thing with a therapist. Mm-hmm. You might not have the right therapist. Yeah. But that's not the end. You don't just cut off therapy altogether. And meditation, meditation might not be for you, but you definitely haven't tried all types of meditation and all types of different instructors. So keep going. Like even with fitness, when people are like, "Oh, it's like, well, I don't uh, powerlifting is too aggressive." It's one powerlifting doesn't have to be aggressive. It can just be a great base for anything. You don't have to lift five hundred pounds. Um, you just doing three main lifts. It's just a really great base for everything. But try something else. Try boxing. Yeah. And with boxing, you can try three or four other different gyms, different boxing gyms. One of those might hit you, and you might love it. Yoga. If you didn't like the first yoga instructor, go to another yoga instructor. You didn't like the first spin studio, go to another spin studio. There's bound to be something in the fitness world that you will like because there's our brains are 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 made that way. Like it, it's the endorphins are there to. It's like salt. You, mm, you gotta like yeah, salt. Yeah. You put salt on your tongue, it makes your mouth water. Like you put salt on food, it's gonna taste good. Like you, you go and work out with whatever works for you, you're going to feel good. Yeah. You're going to like it. That's my one. The biggest thing for me with mental health, I find, is is exercise. I think yeah. exercise and diet as well are yeah. two huge things that people don't put enough emphasis on. And I'm not saying it's easy to suddenly no. go to the gym every day or, or switch your diet, but it's something that you have to find a, a way to kind of keep at. And, and there's ways to do it. And there's gyms out there that work with your schedule. Anybody that says that they can't do it with their schedule, there's a gym out there that works for your schedule, that has a good schedule, that has classes at times that you can go to. Like there's something out there. Um, and we're all feeling down. And we're probably feeling down and feeling lazy and feeling too tired to go to the gym because we're not going to the gym. So it's got to exactly. start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's got to start somewhere. And the more options you give yourself by trying different gyms and trying different sports and different classes, you're going to find something you like. And I read a quote somewhere, I forget who who said it or wrote it, um, but it was, uh, I think it was specifically in the US. It's like we, uh, oh, fitness and physical health is expensive, but it's a lot more expensive to get sick. And that's true. Like if I get sick, whether it's with my mental health or my physical health, it's in the long run, a lot more taxing financially and physically than it would be to pay a, a gym membership and and stay healthy and be less sick, less often, and less tired. And and so I'd, I'd rather spend money on that than spend money on on drugs and alcohol or you yeah. know 
she getting was, better when I'm when I'm sick. I couldn't agree more um, on that. And then I also find I don't know if it works for you guys, but sometimes like in the morning, taking ten minutes, five minutes even, write down five or ten things that you're thankful for. Yep. You know what I mean? It's a gra- small gratitude. Thing. Yeah, gratitude, small gratitude things like list. that, because your brain is so powerful, and it can be powerful in a in a sh- in a bad way and in a great way. And if you can, it's not tricking it, but if you can try to train it to be positive, it's like growing a, a, your bicep. If you keep lifting your bicep and and doing that, it's going to get bigger in a mm-hmm. in a good way. But if you train your brain to be positive, it'll start automatically being positive without you having to do it. I mean, there's going to be off days for sure, yeah. but yeah. And one, one thing I think with mental health is it's all, it's, it's like, you know, going to the gym and like powerlifting and everything, you know, everything you've gone through in your life has prepared you for where you're at now. Um, so for you personally, what would be one of the either lessons or, you know, strong points you've taken from the hard things in your life that you've, it will uh, carry on now? I think, Confidence. confidence and in, in, in okay. at this time it's uh, a positive sense of confidence um yeah going through what i went through put me in situations and rooms with people that you would never want to be in a room with um and at that time i held my own and i think now using that to get on this mic and talk about my past um you know get in front of people at Lululemon and talk about my drug addiction. And um, I think that has definitely uh, helped. It's really cool. You're using sort of these negative past experiences, you know, to really guide yourself to being a beacon of light to other people who may be going through it, especially with these NA meetings or just, you know, like this podcast is hopefully supposed to do is humanize a lot of the, the, you know, negative things that people might have gone through in, you know, a storytelling way so that people can like latch on to something. And, you know, maybe the story is not exactly like they gone through, but it shows that people can make it through really anything, um, you know, good, bad, you know, and then bring out positives and always trying to look on the, the bright side. Um, and just talking it out too is, you know, it's like a, again, like you mentioned a therapy session, um, even just a simple talk on a podcast or whatever with, mm-hmm. You know, two guys you barely know. <laughs> is there a, did are there any people in your life that really helped you through the whole process of of getting clean? I'm sure that there was probably some people that you had to say goodbye to um, to be able to stay clean. Um, but were there people that were were a pillar for you? Yeah. Um. My parents, my brother, um, I, my, my boss, my current boss, Adrian, who we grew up in the same neighborhood, he owns Phone 6 Snack Bar with his uh, best friend, Dave. Um, Adrian actually came to the hospital the day after um, my overdose. And I, we weren't like in constant communication or stuff, but we would see each other at parties and events and at different restaurants and stuff, and we knew each other. Um, but he came to see me, and I thought that was, like, the strangest but also the most beautiful thing um, because he cared, even though he didn't, you know, we weren't best friends or anything. He cared. Um, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever told him this, but, I, like, that's 
that was like one of the, the best feelings that really helped me push through that. Um, and uh, he's always there for me, but he's, he, he, you know, keeps his space, uh, my space, uh, gives me my space and stuff. Um, but he's like, he knows, he's like, hey, if you're not feeling well, like, you know, stay home. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll cover you or whatever. So they're, they're definitely amazing at work. Um, my sponsor, uh, Josh, is an amazing uh, human being. Um, and he uh, he was always there, and he was there to tell me his story, which was way worse than my story. <laughs> and um, uh, and he, you know, has, you know, maybe eight years plus of uh, clean living. Um, so that's huge. And just, yeah, I don't know if there was one exact pillar. It was just everything, seeing all the people at the meetings, Everybody at the meetings are my were my pillars and are my pillars now. Seeing everybody with thirty days of sobriety and seeing people with thirty two years of sobriety, like both, just help me keep going. Um, it shows how positive of you know a, a thing it is that the fact there's people with thirty two years like still going back and yeah. it, you know it, it's amazing how it, and it's probably in, like from an outside perspective, just the fact that people are able to talk openly and freely, which right now it's getting a little bit better, but still people aren't yeah. very open to talk and just like let out anything. Yeah. It's scary. There's, there's yeah. a oh, very yeah. Big time. small group of employers that won't fire you or try to replace you if you talk about any mental health uh, issues that you may have. Um, so I'm lucky I work at a place that does support that. And most restaurants now do support that, um, because they know how many are affected by it in the industry specifically and elsewhere. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you got to talk about it. It helps you. It helps other people. You got to tell your story and it doesn't matter. And honestly, if your boss fires you, you don't want to work at that place. Yeah, if your boss sure. fires you because you're depressed yeah. and you have uh, anxiety or you're a uh, recovering drug addict, you don't want to work there. Definitely no. not. That's not someone you want to have in your life or, nope. be, or be working for. Nope. Um, and they all. need to fuck yeah. right off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so sort of bouncing back, you know, what have been some of, just personally over your whole life, what have been some of the home runs and, you know, Really aiming for the heart with this question, like what have been some of your like proudest moments and best moments, uh, as opposed to? I feel like I was I was planning for this, preparing for this question a little while back for something else, and I forget what I was going to say <laughs> because that's a very difficult question. I should I should work on that because that's a, a a good question that will always come up. Um, it, it, getting getting clean and sober, like my first year, my first thirty days, my first sixty days, ninety days. Um, the uh, yeah the, the the hardships I've been able to go through, and then and then realizing that there are um, much harder times for people out there, um, and you know for me during all this time, at my rock bottoms, it was this is the worst day of my life. I am the worst person in the world. There's nobody worse than me. There's nobody having a worse time. I'm the worst. Mm-hmm. This is the end. There's nothing else. Nobody feels as bad as me. And uh, I think overcoming that has been the biggest thing. Um, just constantly reminding myself that there are 
um, people struggling still and struggling worse than I did and worse than I do um, out there. Um, yeah, I still haven't answered the question. Um, I'll ask you another. <laughs> Should we talk about Muay Thai? Like, I, I've won a bunch of pro fights. Like, I, uh, damn. You said there were still people struggling. Yeah. Um, would you have any advice for who's, for someone who's maybe stuck in like a a bad lifestyle and and they just don't see a way out? Yeah. Um, I think like. It sounds weird, but you really got to start talking to yourself and you really got to put things into action. There's, there's groups out there. There are things out there for you to use to get better. And if you don't get your shoes on and get out of the house, it's not going to get better. If you just, you know, maybe put things on your significant other or your family members, you're not going to get better. You, you need professional help and it's such a huge uh experience and growing experience to find professional help you're you're not you know if you're not a chef you're not going to make the best meal in the world so go to a chef that can make the best meal in the world you're not a therapist you're not a a psychotherapist you're not an addictions counselor you're not going to do it by yourself and you're, and you're not just because you don't do drugs this weekend, if, if it is this type of addiction. If you're not doing it this weekend, but then you just go on without thinking about it, it's going to happen again, and you're not finishing that off. It's going to come back at some point. You're not working on the root of the problem. The root of the problem is a mental illness. Um, and just saying I have a mental illness is huge. It's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's sad. It's like, it's weird. But saying that I have a mental illness, even though you might not think it's a mental illness, I'm Daniel right now. I'm saying I have a mental illness. That's amazing. It's incredible. It's huge. And it's something that we need to work on. And, and, uh, um, like when I got clean and sober, the best thing I did was, tell everybody on my Facebook and everyone on my Instagram that I was clean and sober, that I was an addict and that I was suffering and that I had just overdosed and tried to kill myself and that uh, um, I told everybody. And the reason was, it was very selfish. It was because I didn't want to walk down the street and think that people were pointing their finger at me and you know hesitant to ask me a question or hesitant to say hi. I wanted everyone to know and everyone to know that it was okay to ask me about it. And what was the reaction? It was crazy DMs, crazy DMs about people suffering themselves. So it was good. It was amazing. It was amazing for myself and it was amazing for other people. I brought a bunch of people to meetings with me uh, that maybe would never have known about meetings. I, 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 uh, I hope I got a few people clean and uh, sober if they needed it. Um, I got definitely a bunch of people off hard drugs. They, they still drink, but uh, they're definitely off hard drugs. Um, and it's, it's whatever it is. It's like you don't have to get completely sober if that's not what you need. But there is a chance if you need it. And if you're questioning it, then you probably need it. I think the thing, people are scared to say it or to put it out there. Yeah. They're star- scared what's going to happen once they do put it out there. Yeah. But it just affirms that, like, look at the positive stuff you've done by opening up. Yeah. That's super powerful. I want to be, I don't care who I, if I'm the prime minister, I still want to tell everybody that I'm an addict and, and that I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I think everyone needs to talk about it. 
That's yeah. super awesome. Yeah. Just yeah. the fact, that, and probably how how soon after was it when you let that out? Right away. Right away. Yeah. Okay. Because I day. I know for most people, you know, my guess is the natural reaction would be you know bury it and just try not to talk about it. Yeah. But, but imagine how heavy that weight would yeah. be without it. So it's it's amazing that you just let it out. You're hiding. You're not being yourself right now. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. And it feels so fucking good. I have nothing to hide. I'm not lying to anybody. I haven't lied to anybody in the last three years yeah. since I've been sober. And, and it feels incredible. And, and even, even before when we were talking about this, you came out and let everything out. And you know, you probably let it out a million other times, but it probably feels just as good yeah. every time. Just to Yeah. And you know, this is my first time publicly talking about uh, going to jail as a kid. Um, wow. And it felt amazing. Uh, Our whole 40 listeners are going to... Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a crazy it story. Yeah. It's a crazy story to share. Yeah. Um, what's next for you, man? What's going on What's in Daniel's life? What's coming up in the future? Um, I'm not trying to say what's your 10-year ten, goal, okay. man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can kind of get into a 10-year goal if I... I don't really have one. Um, I definitely want to open up a restaurant at some point. I don't know what type of restaurant, what level of restaurant... Um, whether it's a snack bar or casual fine dining or even fine dining, but I definitely want to be in hospitality. Um, and uh, honestly, my, my next goal is, you know, March 31st, I have a powerlifting competition. Um, and again, I'm not being too hard on myself. Like I've lifted some big numbers in the past. Um, I haven't trained hard, as hard as I have in the past, you know, for this last year. Um, so I'm not worried about, breaking any of my own records or PRs, which I think is also awesome because you You're just shouldn't doing it for yourself. stress yourself. I'm not yeah. stressing myself out too much. So I'm like, I'm going to lift something heavy and I'm going to be happy with it. And, and then you're going to put it down. And then I can put it down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to put it down. <laughs> and then I'm going to touch it to my chest and I'm going to push it away from my chest. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. And, uh, and, and that's it. And I know, you know, what numbers I'm going to hit next week in the gym and I'm happy about that. I know I got a bunch of, uh, you know, wine deliveries coming in to snack bar this week and, and I got to put them on the menu and I'm, I'm happy when I put them on the menu and, um, and that's, that's awesome. It. My girlfriend's opening up a bunch of spin studios in Vancouver and Toronto and, um, hopefully elsewhere, and I'm supporting her with that, and we're, we're just growing. Both of us are just growing and hopefully helping other people grow. Sweet. I don't even... I've just met you today, but you seem like you're in a very good place. Yeah. You seem very physically healthy and mentally, yeah. and mentally yeah. healthy as well. I, I felt like shit the other day. The same thing. I texted my girlfriend right away. I'm like, hey, I, I feel like shit. She's like, why? I'm like, I, I don't know. I just... Just having one of those days. Yeah. I feel weird. We all have those um, days. And we just talked about it a little bit. It was very casual. But even just saying, I feel like shit, helped me. Oh, yeah. We all, it, we it all have those so much. days. Like, Immediately, man. Even when um, that, I've sent you that random DM like a couple months ago, and it, even just letting it out just felt good. And we had bare, you know became friends like over Xbox. And I just yeah. like chat with you because I felt like you're a dude who could... Like talk to talk about it. So it was was it a dick pic? Yeah, it was a dick pic. No, it was um, it was when my my buddy uh, commit suicide. I messaged Daniel. I was like, "Fuck, dude, I know you. Like, we barely know each other, but um, like, it's like shit, man. This sucks. Like, <laughs> that was pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. Um, but even just like saying that uh, was just was good. Cool. Did I respond? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it almost got real awkward in here. <laughs> no, just just put it out. Just like a message request. Yeah, even just it. saying it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, even just saying enough, it. Man. That's so true. But look what the doors you've opened up. People can message you yep. uh, about that. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's my fear. If I miss a message like this, if yeah. I miss a message, what's going to happen? Because I don't want you got to know that if yeah if you message somebody looking for something and that's the only thing you did and the only tool you tried to access you're limiting yourself yeah and you're setting yourself up for potential failure not failure but what if they don't message up back then then you're like fuck he doesn't give a shit about me fuck him I'm going to go whatever. Spirals a bit. It, it spirals a bit. So definitely use everything. Use every tool you have. And I'm, I am one of those tools. Um, and your significant other is one of those tools. Your mom, your dad, your, your brother, your sister. Those are four more tools. Um, your cousin, your a sponsor, the person the barista at starbucks like use everything use the gym use the that restaurant that you really like down the street like um you use as much as you can because the less you use the less likely you're going to find some satisfaction or or help um yeah use all the tools in your kit because i definitely fear that like if if somebody messages me saying they want to commit suicide and i don't get to them back in time and they commit suicide. Um, that's definitely been a huge thought on my, on my head. And like, I work a lot and oftentimes at work, I don't check my phone and I try to check it as often as possible just in case for those reasons. Um, and you know, I try to be a good, uh, um, uh, a good boss at work. So if I tell my employees they can't be on their phone, like I shouldn't be on my phone. So I, I try to keep it in my pocket as much as possible, but um, I definitely have that fear that I'm not going to respond to a person that does need help in time. Um, but at they, the same time, you it's you can't put all that pressure on yourself. No. Too. Exactly, you and can. I and I don't. I think about it, but I I I I also tell myself it's not your fault no. if anything does happen, and that person n- needs help. And if they took my um, my uh, um, absence of a response as an absence of love or whatever in their lives that that was on them mm-hmm. and it's it's, it's so bad to say but yeah um because if you but it happens hedge it all on yourself you, it you know you're gonna be just as bad it or happens. at least feel just as bad you know if you really put all that pressure on yourself and i think that's one of the most dangerous things is you know just the pressure of anything um you know being a people person being the party guy being being the know, yes person yeah being the, yeah being the yes person being whatever being the like shoulder lead on but but if you put all the pressure on yourself yeah it's not going to help you got to yeah. be easy on yourself yeah through all that i was trying to as i was talking figure out a message for the people still suffering to not let that affect them but i i still don't know how to say it or because i know what it feels like when you're going through that because i've been through that um, that feeling of, you know, s- someone not responding to you mm-hmm. while you're going through some shit. 
So I don't know what I would have told myself at that time when I was suffering there. I still don't. And we might end this podcast without figuring out what it is that that message needs to be. But I, I hope I can, we can figure it out um, as we continue talking or, or do another podcast one day. Well, that's, that's our, our take. When we, when we put our introduction podcast, though, we let it out that we don't know the answers. No. No, mm-hmm. no one really knows the exact set in stone answers. So we're really playing into the learning. And yeah. we really want to learn as much as we can and get these, you know, humanizing stories that people can either relate to, listen to, and hopefully just shed some positivity. And we're still yeah. waiting on that home run answer. Yeah, I know, I know. I get that. <laughs> All I know is that it's yeah. just like mental health and, and mental illness and especially men's mental health and illness just can't be ignored or, or put in a corner anymore. Yeah. Because it's obviously not the right way to deal with something like that. Yeah. And it's great. There's more organizations popping up. Like we're, uh, I'm, pl- we're planning on turning this into an actual organization. Yeah. Um, but stuff like not nine to five. Those guys seem to be doing. They're killing uh, it. I they, love them. Yeah, they're very related to the hospitality industry, which yep. is awesome. We should try and chat with them and get them on here. Yep. Get their take on it, and just hopefully we'll start just opening doors and talking to more and more people, and get a as wide of a outreach in terms of you know people that come on here so at least you know knock off all uh check all the boxes in terms of growing up and what whatever like uh careers and all that mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think we it's dope did yeah. we do it is there anything you you want to yeah plug say, daniel have you said all no it's all good yeah. um thank you for coming on the show man thank you for taking the time out of the day yeah to come and hang with us thanks for having me Thanks for being a great person and, and really thank you for having the balls to to share your story with not only us, but with everyone you have shared it with because it takes someone with a lot of balls in this day and age to share all that shit because it's much easier not to share it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and, and everyone else's heart yeah. for, for being able to share that. It takes a lot to share that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Anywhere we can find you, social media, any uh, handles? Social media at thinkdaniel, T-H-I-N-K, Daniel, thinkdaniel. Um, and I'm working on a YouTube channel um, with a cousin of mine. Hopefully that'll be rolling out uh, in a little bit in the next few weeks. And uh, that'll be, uh, I was trying to find a focus. And I think my focus will be the, the pursuit of positive energy, which is kind of like what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way it's not just a fitness channel. It's not just a food channel. It's not just a um, Muay Thai channel or just a meditation channel. It's about everything that makes me happy and then encouraging viewers to um, hopefully send me their ideas of what makes them happy. And then I'll be, I'll be trying those things out. Yeah, too. It'd, be, it's awesome. it'd be really cool to try. Like, Excited to see that. I've, yeah. I've always... I've, as like a personal sidebar, I've always wanted to try, like do a thing where just trying out different shit. Yeah. Like bucket list. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, f- like even like trying to be a server or bus boy, I've always wanted to try just to see like what it, w- what it's like to do. You don't want that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's very humbling, but yeah, yeah. I, I, st- like I still want to try it, and uh, I'll tell you about it. Get him in the dish you. pit. Get yeah. him in the dish pit. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, we might have to kick you out after now. Yeah, <laughs> the dishes aren't clean. Fire me. <laughs> <laughs> Before I just awesome. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you, Thanks man. a lot, guys. No problem.